0: Go ahead and take a seat for a moment in that same posture of worship. Listen, right before I, um, I get into the scripture, I want to welcome those of you who are here for the very first time. Uh, we say this every week, but if you're here, uh, wherever you are on your journey of faith, if you're exploring Christianity or if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, I want you to know this is a safe place for you to explore your faith to ask difficult questions, like not in the middle of the sermon, you know, but like in your mind, and then we talk about it afterwards, okay? But sometimes, maybe in the sermon, who knows? Um, But listen, uh, this is the kind of place that we wanna cultivate. And so I'm gonna read the scripture in just a moment. If you've never read the Bible, if you don't have one, um, we can give you one right after service. The scripture will come up on the screen. The reason we do this is because we want you to explore the claims of Jesus for yourself. You read the word, you read what he's got to say, we're going to preach about it, give you a message on it, and then you can wrestle with those claims um, yourself. So uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12. Before I start, though, I've said that three times, but I'm a preacher. I could say it always. Um, I want to pray specifically uh, for the family of a man called Rick Blackwood, okay? And uh, many of you have been impacted by his ministry. He just passed away uh, this last week. I worked with him for eight years. I was a part of his ministry for a very long time. We worked very closely and he was uh, one of my spiritual fathers. And so I know he impacted many lives in the city and we wanna honor what the Lord did um, through him and pray for his family now and for uh, that church for Christ Fellowship, which uh, many of you uh, went there for some years and now you're here. And so why don't we take some time to pray and to ask God to comfort uh, that family and that church. Father, um, I thank you because uh, you say in your word that precious in your sight, Lord, are the death of your saints, God. And Father, we, uh, we want to thank you for how you used uh, Rick Blackwood over years here in Miami. Many people came to know you because of his ministry, Lord. And I just pray specifically for his family, that you would comfort them in their grief, Lord. That you would be with them as they celebrate his life, as they think about his life, as they meditate from the lessons of what he taught and also um, how he lived. We pray uh, for Christ's fellowship, that you would bless that church, Lord. That you would bless the churches in this city. This is not about us, Lord. Uh, This is about a kingdom that knows no end, your kingdom. And I pray that you would continue to establish that through that church and through other churches in this city. God, we need you, and we pray uh, for that comfort, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to come now and to minister to many hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Um, Matthew 12, I want to invite you to turn there, um, and we're going to read in verses uh, number one through 14. By the way... If you've never read the scriptures, this is one of those where you read it and you're like, hmm, what does this mean? Today, my hope is that we'll learn both about what Jesus says and what God says in the Old Testament and the New Testament to give us some understanding of this text. Look at um, verse one. At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry And began to pick and eat some heads of grain. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, See, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But Jesus said to them, Haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God and they ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for him or for those for him to eat, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath days, the priest in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent for the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Follow me. Verse nine. Moving on from there, he entered their synagogue, and there he saw a man who had a shriveled hand, and in order to accuse him, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He replied to them, who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take a hold of it and lift it out? A person is worth far more than a sheep, so it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Then he told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was restored as good as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. This is the word of the Lord. Some years ago, I was living in Chicagoland. It was getting close to Christmas. It was my fourth year in seminary. I had been working part time and God had provided in miraculous ways. But I didn't really have a lot of money to splurge especially as I got ready to prepare gifts for my wife and my girls. Out of nowhere, I was driving around and I had the opportunity of a lifetime. As I was coming out of uh, my local bank, I met this Italian man dressed to the nines. He was wearing a pinstripe suit. He was driving a white Mercedes Benz. He I pulled down his window and he looked at me and he said, He parla italiano. You speak Italian, eh? It's Spanish? And, you know, I'm from Venezuela. Venezuela, by the way, the reason it gets its name is because Amerigo Vespucci, just a quick history lesson here, named Venezuela Little Venice, right? So we have a lot of, ha ha, come on, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> So, of course, in that moment, I channeled my inner Italian and I'm like, hey, forget about it. how you doing, you know, how you doing. And you're going to take the Google Maps, you know. No. (laughs) So I start showing him the way to go to the airport. He's like, man, I really need some help. I don't know where I'm going. I'm trying to get to the airport. And if you could help me out, that'd be great. And I'm like, don't worry. And I'm like, dude, I'm taking that opportunity. I'm like, I'm about to share the gospel with this brother. I'm about to tell him about Jesus. He's Italian, dude. Forget about it. It's incredible. And then I give him the address. He's about to leave. And he says to me, you know what? You help me out. I want to help you out. I'm in the fashion industry. And I've been here in Chicago for a show. And um, I mean, would you like me to give you some Versace jackets for your wife? I was like, um, immediately, of course, I was a little skeptical. I'm like, this is a little weird, but you know what? You're a really good looking, well-dressed man, and you're driving a really nice car, and I may consider this. So I was like, no, don't worry about it, dude, please. We just wanna help you out, just get to the airport, I know you gotta be there, and he's like, and he insists, he's like, no, oh, listen, I whichever one you want, let me show you this catalog from Versace. He's like, I have the jackets in the back. I can't take them with me. He's like, I mean, I'm going to have to pay for a bunch of luggage to get back home. I could just hook you up. But he's saying it, of course, in an Italian accent, you know. And so, so he shows me. I'm like, okay, let me see the jackets. <laughs> I, and and <laughs> I'm sorry, God. No, no. And so I started looking at the jackets and they look incredible. And I, I mean, I've never worn these kind of leather jackets before. But in that moment, I'm like, God, thank you, Gyra, you are enough. You know, I'm like, dude, you're providing. We don't have money for Christmas. Let me grab one of these jackets. And, I, and I'm like, what size do you have? And I'm looking at the, he's like, and I'm like, dude, let me take three of these jackets for my wife. And he's like, I think I got a jacket for you too. And I'm like, okay, let me see it, man. <laughs> I put on the jacket it feels incredible I'm touching it dude he's giving me he's telling me everything about the leather and how amazing it is he's grabbing a lighter he's lighting he's like, this thing it doesn't burn it's, in, it's unbelievable he's like you know what um why don't you just give me I mean these are worth thousands of dollars he's like why don't you just give me a couple hundred bucks and that's it we'll call it a deal and I was like I, I don't know about that um He's like, I, I mean, it would help me out. Don't worry about it. I mean, we could just walk away. No problem. You don't have to take the jackets. It would just help me a lot um, if you do that. And so it'll pay for the luggage back home. And I was like, you know what? Let me call a friend. I called one of my friends who really knows about fashion. He's another South American brother, you know, who wishes he was Italian. But, um, and if he hears this podcast, I love you. But I call him and he said, he, he doesn't answer the phone. He was my lifeline. <laughs> then I call my Wife, just to tell her about the opportunity, she doesn't pick up the phone. Carpe diem. I'm making the most of this opportunity. So I literally walk with him to an ATM right by the bank. I take out some cash. Chill, 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 chill. Hold on. Now then. I take out the ATM. I go to the ATM. I take a couple of hundred dollars. out. Remember, I'm in seminary. I'm working part time. A couple of hundred bucks. Listen, it was a lot for me. But in light of $5,000 worth of clothing, it didn't seem like a lot. So I gladly (laughs) give him the cash. He's on his way. We exchange phone numbers. Man, I'm about to share the gospel with this brother. I'm thanking God. I go home. I'm walking inside with four jackets like a hero. And um, I got something special for you, baby. Christmas came early. I got three Versace jackets. You can give one of them to your friends. All these people that have blessed us and look at what God has done, even though we don't have any money. Merry Christmas. Thank you for all the sacrifices you've made in the last four years while I've been in seminary. I love you so much. Cassie, she takes the jackets out and she was, you know, a little nervous and thrilled kind of to put them on. She's like, wow, you know, it's like we never wear this kind of stuff. She started checking it out and. And she was thankful that I got to lavish these gifts on her, okay? You ever gotten to lavish, right, somebody that you love? And uh, as she was trying them on, by the third jacket, she says this to me. She's like, you know, they smell a little strong, don't they? I said, it's the newness of it. It's the authentic Italian leather, you know? It's got a strong smell at times. And just so you know, I have a terrible sense of smell, but my wife, she's like a shark when the blood hits the water, you know, (laughs) she can smell things hundreds of miles away. She examines the beautifully crafted jackets while I'm still experiencing the divine cliff, the, the, the divine bliss of God's provision. Cassie suddenly comes out of the room and she says, honey, I Googled this. And I just found out that you just got scammed in a global scheme. I thought I had the real thing. But it was a counterfeit. It was a really well-crafted, deceptive imitation of a Versace jacket. And I fell for it. Listen, I could not even keep, I wanted to show you this so bad, I couldn't even keep the jackets. Because we were so angry at how I had been deceived and taken advantage of during Christmas while I was working part time, didn't have a lot of money. And I got a counterfeit jacket. I didn't get the real thing. The reason I tell you that story is because when you look at this text, as you think about the spiritual lives of people of you and of me there are countless of really well crafted imitations of Jesus Christ that are not him there's countless counterfeit gods offer all sorts of satisfaction and happiness, and specifically here, coming out of this passage of rest, that offer rest to your life and to mine. But after you closely examine them and experience them, what you realize, it's not the real thing. And in this text, what happens is you meet this controversial Jesus who exposes fake solutions that we offer enter into In order for us to be able to experience the rest that he designed for us to experience. Now, you're looking at this text and you read it at first light in the 21st century. And you're like, dude, why is this so controversial? They're talking about the Sabbath. It's like arguing over a mattress. Seriously? They're having a controversy about rest? Well, it's a controversy. Because especially in the first century, Jews came to the Sabbath for rest. But Jesus says in Matthew 11, right before this, no, 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 you don't go to the Sabbath for rest, you come to me for the rest of your weary souls. So here's what I want us to see. As we explore this text, there's gonna be a lot of connections from all over the scripture. I want us to meditate just on the greatness and glory of Jesus here today. There's some practical application points that we can learn from this text But this is about the Lord of the Sabbath. What we're going to learn today is a couple of things that I hope help you make some connections in your Bible and as you're exploring Christianity or growing in your relationship with Jesus. And here it is. You're going to see that the Sabbath actually points to resting in Jesus, that the temple which he mentions points to being with Jesus, and that the healing that he does points to us being restored by Jesus. This is about resting in Jesus, being with Jesus, and being restored by Jesus. I told you right before this passage, Jesus says, if you are burdened and heavy laden and weary, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. Where are you today? Where are you? Are you at the end of your rope? Are you tired? Do you need to find rest in God, in your soul? How are you doing? Is the answer to your question, is the answer to the question, hey, how you doing today, man? Is it, is it always, I'm really busy, dude. Is it always, I'm tired. Is it, is your answer like this, how are you doing? <sighs> you don't even have an answer. If you find yourself anywhere on that spectrum, the good news is that today, man, we're gonna, we're gonna see part of the essence of Christianity and what Jesus came to do for you um, and for me. I want, I, want, I want us to see how Jesus exposes the counterfeit of this ritualistic kind of religion that the Pharisees, this religious leaders, were trying to, um, to promulgate. So look at verse number one one more time. It says this, At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some heads of grain. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, see, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Okay, so the Sabbath was a big deal to um, the Jews. It's the fourth commandment. If you know about the Ten Commandments, what happens in the book of Exodus, God gives these ten laws to the people of Israel. And one of those laws was to keep the Sabbath, right? And keep it holy. It was really important. This really mattered, it points back to the creation story. If you read the book of Genesis, it says that God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he what? Rest. He rested. He, it's Sabbath. He, didn't, he wasn't tired, but he, he enjoyed his work. Because the word Sabbath literally means to cease from working. To cease. To stop working. The spirit behind The idea of Sabbath is to keep it holy, that on Sabbath, this was supposed to be a time where the people of Israel will reorient their lives around Jesus. The irony was that over time, um, what was intended to serve as a day of rest, freedom, and celebration actually became a burden for the people of Israel. Some of the laws that Pharisees instituted, they just bordered on the ridiculous. I want you to hear one of those laws that comes from a Mishnah, the Mishnah, which is a book of oral traditions. It says this, in the Sabbath, if a building falls down, enough rubble can be removed to discover if any victims are dead or alive. But if alive, they could be rescued. But if dead, the corpses must be left until sunset. That's ridiculous. That was nowhere in the Old Testament law. These were laws that were added over time and placed a burden on people's lives. Like, you can't have drums in church, right? I grew up in that generation, by the way. I grew up in the church, and some, I lived through some of those things. that were like, dude, this is, like, really irreverent. Why are people having coffee here today? Okay, careful. It reminds me of blue laws in the United States. Do you know what those are? Blue laws, they were, they were actually laws designed... Um, that emerged from this concept of the Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath. I lived in Illinois, I told you, uh, for about four years. And uh, on Sundays, car dealerships are closed. And it has a root on the Christian Sabbath. Somebody at some point decided, this is the most ungodly thing we can do. It's <laughs> to buy a car. <laughs> we are going to make the law. We are closing these car dealerships. So that's a blue law that's still in effect. In some other states, for instance, you can't buy alcohol until after 12 o'clock on Sunday. Okay, Can't drink before church. Afterwards. That's a blue law. It's problematic. It's ridiculous. Part of the problem with the Pharisees, I want you to think about this. It's not so much they were so nitpicky. It's not so much they were so obsessed with the law. It's actually that they didn't care about it in their hearts. There's a kind of external spirituality that we can all uh, exp- you know, do and experience and, and, and embody, an outward spirituality that looks like holiness, but it lacks inward change and godliness. And so the Pharisees are coming around, and I mean, the disciples, they, I mean, do think about this. They're picking heads of grain, all right? This is how hungry they are. They're walking around, all right? And they, they considered that reaping back in the day. And they felt like they had this gotcha moment with Jesus. Like, oh, we got you. We're going to get you. You did not keep the Sabbath. And so, but what they didn't know is, number one, is that the Sabbath actually points to Jesus. The Sabbath points to Jesus. Look at what he says. It's astonishing. And I want you to, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're walking in the first century because if you're not... If you can't place yourself there, you're not going to feel the weight of this text. Look at what he says to them. Haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful to him or for those with him to eat, but only for the priests. What is Jesus saying here? You're reading this text you're like, what's going on? Here's what's happening. Jesus responds to them by pointing back to what happened in the Old Testament. Do you, you know the law? Do you know what First Samuel says? There's an exception on the law of Sabbath. You see, in Israel, um, there was uh, a bread that was put inside of the temple. And it was consecrated before the Lord. It was numbered. There were 12 of them. And it was to represent the Lord's provision for his people. So if you think back at the importance of the tabernacle and the temple and the religious and spiritual life of the people, this bread was consecrated and it was holy and nobody was supposed to eat it except the high priest at the very end of the time of consecration. And Jesus is pointing back to the story to to remind them, hey, wasn't David hungry one time? And didn't he go and ask the high priest with his soldiers, um, if he could eat the bread because they were starving. And what did the priest do? Well, if you read the story in 1 Samuel, the priest makes an exception and he actually feeds David and the soldiers. Now, listen, nobody could eat this bread, okay? Not even the king, only the priests. And yet, in a time of necessity, in a time where David needed mercy, he was able to create an exception to this law. And if that exception worked for David, are you following me here? You following the story? There's a a lot here packed into this text. If there's enough mercy for David, what Jesus is saying is, there's going to be enough mercy for my disciples. What we're doing here is lawful on the Sabbath. He's having an argument It's like a theological argument with the Pharisees. In other words, yo, people, you're missing the forest from the trees. Or, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sabbath is a day for mercy. It's a day for mercy. They have a right to eat because they are hungry and mercy lets the hungry eat. Jesus then takes it up another notch. He's like ratcheting this whole thing up, and he's about to say something that's about to get him killed at the end. In verse number five, he asks a second question. Haven't you read in the law that on Sabbath days, the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? In other words, uh, I'm a pastor. I work on Sundays, right? The priests also worked on the Sabbath, Do you get where he's going? He worked and it was holy. They violated the Sabbath because temple work was more important than this Sabbath law. If you had not known what this means, says verse 7, I desire, what's that next word? I desire what? Mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent for the Son of Man is the Lord of The Sabbath. Priests. Yo, people. Priests get dressed up, all right? They walk over to the temple. They light the candles. They gather the wood. They build the fire. They bake the bread, and it's showtime. Is their work wrong? No. They did not violate the Sabbath. That's the biblical argument here. But then what happens is Jesus says all these things that literally make the Pharisees want to kill him. One of them being is he says... The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath. Here's the implication for us and for, for the people in the first century. He's saying, I am God, and the way to get to me, watch this, is to stop working your way to God. It's to cease. See, the Sabbath means to cease from work. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, you cease from your work, from trying to earn your way to God. That's great news. And what you're gonna do is you're gonna trust me. You're gonna come to me. You're not gonna go to your performance. You're not gonna go to all of these different things to come and try to have a relationship with me, no. You're gonna cease work and you're gonna trust me. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. That's really good news. God cares about what we do. Okay, but there's nothing that you can do. There's no thing that you can perform so perfectly, no law that you can follow so ingeniously that it will get you to God. No, God says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You cease from your work and you trust in me. Isn't that free? Listen, there's no amount of vacations that you'll be able to take, okay? I love vacations, by the way. Incredible, I think it's amazing. Praise God. We get to delight in his creation. There's not enough times or days off that are perfect in your life that will quench that quintessential existential thirst that you have in your soul for Jesus. God says, Sabbath, I am its Lord. Sabbath was made for man, right? Not man for the Sabbath. What happens is here, the counterfeit is people relying on the Sabbath to give them rest for their souls rather than relying on the person of Jesus. What he reveals to us here is that all of this work and the days off and the Sabbath rest that was supposed to point people toward freedom was actually pointing to something greater and it was right in front of their face. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. By the way, I believe in having a day off, okay? Taking a Sabbath, I think it's amazing. But the way that that happens is when, when God changes us from the inside, that's supposed to be um, worked out on the outside of our lives and not the other way around. In other words, we walk in the way of Jesus and we practice Sabbaths out of a relationship with God, not to earn a relationship with God. So Jesus doesn't do away with the Sabbath, but he frees it from all these legalistic obligations. But did you notice what Jesus also said? He says this, this phrase, Something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the temple is here. What does that mean? It means this. The temple, what we learn in this passage is that the temple actually points to being with Jesus. The temple is a shadow. It's not the main course. The temple points to being with Jesus. I'm going to tell you why that's really important. I want you to imagine for a moment, Brickle City Center. Everybody gone to Brickle City Center? Right smack in the middle of the city. Really cool. Uh, Futuristic looking mall, in many ways, is at the heart of regular life in Brickle. I want you to multiply that by infinity, add a spiritual component, and it still pales in comparison to how much the temple mattered in Jewish life. As important as the temple was, what you discover in the scriptures is that the temple was made by human hands, it was built with massive stones, it took years to build. Um, Artists from all over the world came to build a temple and it had these cedars and gold and it was carved by the best artists. And it was a joy to the people of Israel and a delight for many to see. But when the temple was built, okay, especially by Solomon, he has this phrase that's so important in the Old Testament. Are you following me? Yeah. I know I'm talking a lot about the temple and Sabbath and a lot of stuff that I'm like, man, you may not be familiar with. And so, But I want you to know this because it's important in understanding this text. Solomon says this in the Old Testament. He says that God does not dwell in a temple made by human hands. You cannot contain him there. It was really important. The temple mattered so much. God had instructed his people to build a temple where his presence would become manifest. And people would know that he was their God and they were his people. So the temple mattered. But... What you learn in the New Testament is that the temple is actually a shadow. The temple taught the people of God um, many things, many lessons. In the temple, you had the blood of bulls and goats on the altar. What was that for? It was to help people atone for their sins. But in the temple, you did not have a final atonement. You didn't have that for the people of God forever. You had that with Jesus Christ. In the temple, you learned that that the the presence of God actually dwelt there, but only the high priest could enter it. So you believed and you trusted in the presence of God by faith. There was a seven-branch candlestick there, but the Spirit of God had not yet descended. This consecrated bread that we talked about it stood on the table, but it wasn't the bread of life that could satisfy us forever. The, the temple was a place of repentance and consolation. People would go there. They would offer these sacrifices for their guilt and their shame. And they would have to perform these things with a priest. It was a shadow of things to come, but not the actual substance. All of those lessons that people learned while looking around at the temple and the sacrifices and the the blood and the bread and the lights and everything that was decorative that taught us a lesson actually points to a greater reality that was standing right in front of them. It was pointing to Jesus. It was pointing to Jesus who essentially gave his life. He shed his blood for the everlasting atonement of people. It points to Jesus who sends the spirit of God into our hearts. That when you open up your heart, if you're here and you're seeing the cosmic reality of scripture, like over thousands of years, literally all being encapsulated and embodied by Jesus here in this particular text. uh, You're like, dude, this is incredible. Like Jesus embodied what was a lesson and a shadow in The temple, he's the one who says, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, guess what? You will forever be satisfied. That is Jesus standing in front of them, the ultimate revelation of God. And Jesus comes in and says, I'm greater than the temple. And now you have access to me. You have access to my presence. It's incredible news today that you and I do not need a priest in order to mediate a relationship with God. Part of what's great about Jesus is that you can have an intimate relationship with him now. Today, you can can have a relationship with the living God. You can be forgiven of your sin today. You can walk out with purpose in the kingdom of God today. And it's because you don't have to go to a temple and talk to a priest and offer particular sacrifices to learn a particular lesson. What you need is Jesus, the true and better temple of God. If there's anything... That I want you to get today. (laughs) Anything that I desire for your life and for me. Is that we cultivate this intimacy with Jesus. The greater temple. The one who offered his life so that we could have close access to him. You following me? Religiosity is a counterfeit God that offers rest but actually enslaves you. The Sabbath day pointed to Christ. It wasn't the ultimate idea of experiencing human rest. And then finally, look at what happens in verse 9. Moving on from there, he entered their synagogue. There he saw a man who had a shriveled hand. And in order to accuse him, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Again, they're trying to get Jesus. He replied to them, Who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take a hold of it and lift it out? A person is worth far more than a sheep. Somebody say amen. So it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Then he told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out. And it was restored as good as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him, how they might kill him. It's incredible how we can add steps and barriers to the work that Jesus wants to do in our lives and in other people's lives. See, this healing ultimately points to people being restored by Jesus. The Sabbath points to Jesus and resting in him. The temple points to Jesus and us experiencing his presence, being with him. And this healing points to being restored by Jesus. And many many of us can come into a place like this in a gathering, in a church, sort of like this man. Maybe we don't have a shriveled hand, but we come with a shriveled heart. Experiencing all kinds of pains or guilt Whatever emotion you fill in the blank, despondent, distracted, numb, numb from having a deal and having to fight through this life and what we ultimately need, what you and I ultimately need that we get in this passage and we get from Jesus is we need his mercy, his mercy. And what we need to show others is his mercy. We need mercy for our sin. What is Mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That is mercy. We need mercy. Mercy for the way that we've treated those whom we love. We need mercy for the stupid decisions that we've made. For the religious words that we sometimes use to make ourselves look better in front of people. We need mercy for the inconsistency between what we say and what We do, we need God's mercy. And so do the people that we meet. And do you know who Jesus gives mercy to in the story? It's not the religious person who was self-righteous, who thought had all the answers about what it looked like to follow God it was this man who was hurting with the shriveled hand and a humble heart who needed help. And if you're there today, if you're a person who needs mercy, okay, what you need is to come to the Lord. And metaphorically, right, you stretch out your hand and he offers restoration for your life. Because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And in him you can find rest and restoration. Are there some barriers that you're actually putting in front of God that stop you from experiencing the restoration that you actually need to experience in your heart? Are there some barriers that you've put in that Jesus wants to show you mercy but you have not yet received it? Or maybe you're here and you don't know him, you don't have a relationship with him, but you want to experience his mercy. I'm telling you right now, I'm sticking with mercy. I need it and we need it and we need to show it. I'll leave you with this story. There was a man by the name of Robert Robinson who um, had been saved from a life of sin. He had experienced mercy through the ministry uh, ministry of a preacher called George Whitfield, And he was a hymn writer. He was a songwriter. And he wrote a really famous hymn uh, that goes like this. Come thou fount of every blessing. There you go. You see, you know it. I kind of know it. But it, he says, streams of mercy never ceasing. There you go. That's it. Sadly, if you are Get to know the story of of this brother called Robinson, of Robert Robinson. He journeys away from Jesus. It's like he wanders away and, and starts being deceived by this world and pursuing particular desires that were not pleasing to God. He leaves the church. One of the most famous hymns of all time. He leaves the church, wanders away for years, but one day, he's sitting next to this beautiful lady on a train. I'm not sure what his motives were. She was completely captivated by this book. And then she loves it so much that she shows Robert. She's like, man, look at this incredible poem right here, this line. It says this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God. I love immediately Robinson bursts into tears madam he says I am the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago and I would give a thousand worlds if I could enjoy the feelings that I had then any of you ever been there where you experience God at some point in life and you yearn to go back. And I'm like, what if this, what if, what if I could be in the same place again? I'm greatly surprised. The woman speaks to him and he says, the streams of mercy that you wrote about in the song, that mercy is for you today. And in that moment, Robert, man, he experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And he went back to the Lord and his life was restored. Because that very song that he had written that God gave him so many years ago (laughs) contained the truth about the mercy of God for us who are prone to wonder and who need mercy. And if that's you today, and if you have stepped away, if you feel far away from God today and you wonder just like he did, man, I wish I had those feelings I had back then. I want to tell you something. God wants to do something new in your life. And he wants to offer you fresh mercy for your life. So you can be able to move forward in this kingdom of God that you have a purpose in and you have a, a part to play no matter what you have done, no matter what has happened to you. God wants to do something in your life, not because I'm telling you, but because he's a God of mercy. Amen. So what we're going to do is I want to invite you to have a time where you pray with God where maybe you are like this man and you've been far away from him and you need to come home to God and you need to experience his mercy. Maybe for some of you, you've been exploring Christianity and today's a day where you're like, you know what? I want to give my life to Jesus and experience his mercy. And I believe that he is the Lord of heaven and earth and I want that for my life. If that's you, listen, wherever you are today, why don't we all pray together and I want to lead you in some times of prayer. Father, thank you. the mercy that you offer to us today, God. I pray you would humble us today, our hearts, Lord. That you would remind us that all of us in this place, we need your mercy. God, I want to pray right now for those who have wandered away from the faith who are here today, Lord. Who, like this man who wrote this, one of the greatest hymns of all time, have wandered away from you. I pray that they would have a fresh encounter with truth today. Listen, if that's you, and you're like, I need that. I need his mercy. I need to receive it for me. I want him to restore me. Back into a relationship with him. Why don't you right now stretch out your hand and say, I need prayer. Just like this man, I see you, God bless you. I need prayer, God bless you. Just keep your hands up, we're gonna pray together. We're going to humble ourselves before the Lord. Maybe you're here, and you're like, I need a relationship with him. I want to trust in him this morning. If that's you, why don't you just stretch out your hand right now and say, I need Jesus this morning. Tell him, I see you. God bless you. I see you. Just with your hand stretched out just before the Lord, why don't you receive his mercy? Father, I pray for those who have wandered away today, God. I pray you would bring him back into your fold that they would experience the love of a heavenly father who has bled for who sent a son to bleed for them, to die for them, God. If, that, if they need to forgive themselves, Lord, or they need to forgive others, I pray you would give them the power in the name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, to be able to, to do that today. God, would you help them receive mercy in this great time of need, Lord? I pray for those who also have stretched out their hands, who want to have a relationship with you. If that's you, listen, you lifted up your hands and you said, man, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. Why don't you tell him right there? God, I need you. And I want to walk with you in my life. Would you forgive me of my sin? And would you help me experience your mercy and grace? In Jesus name, I pray. Amen.